When the world is ruled by violence and the soul of mankind fades, the children's path shall be darkened by the shadows of the neon maniacs. Episode 8, The School and the Missing Pieces. Welcome to Episode 8 of In the Shadows of the Neon Maniacs. This week, we're going to pick up where we left off last week with the finale of the high school sequence. And we're going to look at some possible missing pieces from the high school. We'll also talk to Doyle McCurley, who played one of the Samurais, and Scott Getzko, who played Juice. Get to the principal's office. It's a phone. Yeah, well, what about Paula? But Paula can take care of herself. Let's go, Natalie. During the battle of the band's carnage, Natalie and Stephen elude the maniacs by taking refuge in a classroom where they consummate their love. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. I just met you. I know you won't. That's why I like you. I'm Megan Navarro, lead critic and writer for Bloody Disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the first watch that people have it raises so many questions. So I, you know, part of re multiple rewatches is kind of studying why things happen the, the way they do you know there's such a clunky conversation happening in the van in that early scene that kind of sets off the whole thing you haven't done it yet have you so was that a crime or something no how can you stand it where her friends are really grilling her like about being a virgin and it's so clunky in the dialogue that it can be distracting. And I just needed to know, like, what, why, why, why is everything happening the way they do? Because, you know, Mark Carducci's script, at least, you know, the final version of the film, nothing is really explained. Like the, the narration is the closest we get to exposition. You're kind of left to pick up on clues. So why are her friends hounding her for being a virgin? Um, and that doesn't really come up until much later where she and her love interest, Steve, decide to have sex in a classroom. And then that's when all activities stop. So that's kind of like the clicking moment where it doesn't tell you they fixate on the water being a problem, but she's not being harassed because she's a survivor. She's being harassed because she's a pure virgin. Yeah, I think it's because that dialogue, like just the way that they're razzing her and that it doesn't feel natural. And I think that that's distracting when you when you're like, it took me a few watches to even realize that um, because I was just so focused on, you know, what Paula was doing with the water to even, you know, why are they? It's it's easy to dismiss. She's the survivor. They want to they just want to finish what they started. Well, yeah, 
but that it starts from that very clunky conversation where her friends are teasing her about being a virgin so yeah my name is Gary Gerani. I'm a, uh, a writer of fiction and nonfiction. Are they ever explained the origin, do you remember, or? <laughs> well, 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 why would you want it explained? Uh, like, 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 for instance, for instance, uh, uh, do we have to know in the classic episode of The Twilight Zone or Eye of the Beholder, you know, what that society was or, no, 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 you just let the story play. Sometimes what, what you leave out is far more interesting. However, however, that said, there is a very specific reason of what, what they are. I'll tell you exactly what the deal is. And it's in the script and it even, you know, the neon maniacs, it's important for the movie never to spell this out, never. It's gotta be just the way it's playing, right? But what the maniacs actually are, key moment, in both the script and the movie. Honey, you must be the last virgin in San Fran. <laughs> the maniacs are id monsters. They are Natalie's fear of sex come to life in the form of all these. Now, the fact that they take the form of these uh, crazy killer, you know, banned from hell, whatever is, is its own thing. But that's literally what they are. And that was even caught in, in the film version because I do believe when that's, and it's her birthday, the whole thing, that's all the movie gives you to work with, her birthday and her becoming a woman has to be buried in there. Otherwise it's ludicrous, but that is what they are. And when I first read this script, Mark and I discussed it. I said, ah, you caught that. Some people don't. And I said, well, yeah, because there's nothing else to work with here, you know, in, in terms of if you're trying to find a meaning. And it had to be symbolic for some, something like this. And yeah, so that, that is literally what they are. They are Natalie's id come to life. In a curious way, they more greatly resemble what the id of the little girl, because she's a monster buff. My name is Timothy Snell, and I edited Neon Maniacs. You know, people are looking for meaning and, and subtext and all sorts of other associations, and what does that mean? And, and that's what's sort of fun about this, is it's people are trying to read stuff into it. And there's probably nothing more to read into it than what you could possibly get from, pay, from, from the script. When their love is consummated, well, everything and is... All the demons are gone. I guess, I guess it's a metaphor for hormones. I don't know. My name is Patrick Bromley. I wrote the article Neon Maniacs, an underrated gem that deserved so many sequels on bloodydisgusting.com. Yeah. I think I, when I read, when I wrote that article, uh, the little bit of research that I did, I found something that said, and that it wound up getting cut out of the film, either at the script stage or at the editing stage, that like it was supposed to be in the text that like the maniacs were there for a virgin and it's never spoken. But again, like with the abstract narration or with the maniacs sort of nebulous mythology, I like that there are suggestions that that's exactly what's happening without anybody saying oh they're here for a virgin quick have sex and lose your virginity you know 
It's the bookend. I mean, I like I said, it took me multiple watches, but it's that conversation and literally they just give up and leave at the end right after she has sex. It was like they, you know, took a couple watches, but it was the only thing that made sense to me as, as to what was happening and why it almost feels anticlimactic in the end. Infuriated, the hangman maniac slams his fists against a locker. Then, we're shown various shots of the desolate high school, empty hallways, classrooms, and the front entrance, signaling the maniacs have vanished. Uh, Doyle McCurley. And you played? Yeah, Samurai. About, uh, oh, 80% of the film is me. Uh, I was the third person to do the Samurai. Uh, Sully... Marks was the first guy, he's a stuntman, and uh, he did part of it. And then another guy came in for a couple of days, and then I, I don't remember what happened to him, but uh, then I, I got the part. I had a, uh, my modeling agent was a lady named Lisa Marie, Lisa Marie's modeling agency, small agency. So uh, she sent me, and I went in and talked to him a few minutes, and then they said, okay, I guess I was... Kind of like the the height and size they were looking for. Obviously, looks didn't matter because they plastered us with plastic. How is that? Well, uh, the call times were normally about six a.m. You show up, and uh, there was there was quite a few of us that had extensive makeup, and and mine was more so than anyone else. So I would be first because mine took longer. So they would call me in first, and as the other guys would come in and go through, we would. Uh, I was almost the last one finished every time because, as I would start, uh, I think I believe there were four, four makeup chairs, and uh, so it'd be me and, and then three other guys would come in a little later, and then as those guys were leaving, more guys would come in, and so yeah, it was. It, it took a while. I mean, it was a, a couple of hours. I don't remember a single day that was under, like, 16 hours being there. And it wasn't just me. There were a few other guys that had to be there a long time because we had to do the face, uh, the rubber masks, and they had to piece them on. It wasn't like a one-piece pullover mask. They had to piece them, like, one by one. Do you remember anything from the school shoot? From uh, Hollywood High School? yeah. You know, it's odd. I don't even remember how many nights we were there, but but it was, you know, it was a few. I, it may have been only two or three nights. I just don't remember exactly, but I remember uh, walking around the high school and, and as far as shooting, not really, but I remember walking through the hallways and they had pictures of the different classes and, and there were actors and actresses who had gone to school there that were actually uh household names they were they were now famous and uh i can remember us looking at some of them i don't know how it is now but they had the pictures actually hanging in the hallways don't don't remember a whole lot about it like i said i you know it was a, a two or three day deal at the school maybe itself my name is sean robert and I had the opportunity to design and write the Neon Maniacs trading cards for Terror Vision Records. 
there, there's this whole deleted sequence where uh one of the maniacs cuts off one of the kids head and this whole thing's in like in a gym right so there's like basketball hoops up and stuff and they start like playing basketball with a severed head and again this is all from the fangoria article but i grew up with the fangoria article so for years when i go back and watch the movie i kept expecting to see the scene with the act with axe using the head as a basketball and it would never be in the movie yeah. and then when i went back to the fangoria articles like oh that's why i know this scene there's a part of me that hopes it was filmed. There's a part of me that hopes that there is a, a chunk, like a reel somewhere that is gonna be discovered. Mark Patrick Carducci tells Fangoria, there's a maniac called Axe, who's your classic escapee from an asylum. He wears a straight jacket and carries the weapon he's named after. At one point in the gym, he takes a hook shot with what may be a basketball, but it's not. It's a kid's head, and a scavenger catches it. That, I hope, is funny. It's sick, but I think it's funny. Unfortunately, everybody that I asked about this scene does not remember it, so unfortunately, I don't think this scene was shot. This might be a scene that was left over from a previous draft. Sounds like there might have been a cutscene with the axe maniac using a kid's head as a basketball. But oh, but I don't think that was ever shot. I mean, I, I'm trying to think now. I don't know, because if it was shot, I, I think it would have gone in. Unless the MPAA took it out. But I, could... I honestly can't remember. And... I don't remember. Oh, man, wait a second. There was something in a basketball. I remember that. That's the kind of thing that the MPAA would take out. I'm Alan Apone, makeup effects supervisor for Neon Maniacs. Uh, I'm Mike Spatola, makeup artist. Do you guys remember a scene where Axe cuts off a kid's head and uses it as a basketball during the ending? Hmm. I don't, there's something about that that seems familiar. I'm drawing a blank, I don't but remember I that. Don't, but I don't remember that specifically. I, you know, I, yeah, no, I don't remember. I kind of, I think what I'm thinking of is I know that there was a, there was a night when we were out in the park and we did have a, we had some decapitated heads and some people were fucking around. Oh, pardon, excuse me, we're fooling around. <laughs> uh, we're fooling around uh, with the decapitated heads, but I don't remember a scene that way there's 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 also like a lost maniac in this movie i don't know how much that's come up before but there's the uh the i'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head it's the yeah right and you barely see him it's only when they're like he's like he's kind of emerging from the the golden gate bridge a couple times from the doorway where like if you pause and you kind of mess with the uh the color balance on your on your tv you can kind of see his form with his two arms but it's so quick and he really doesn't have any kills in the rest of the film. Maniac number 12. Decapitator. Mark Patrick Carducci tells Fangoria. Decapitator doesn't have hands. He has twin cleavers, a cleaver on each hand, and no head. So when someone pulls off his hood late in the movie, he has no head. This sequence is missing from the film. 
I'm not sure if this was ever filmed, but it seems like if it was, it would have been it. Character that everyone loves, but he's so mysterious is Decapitator. Do you guys have any input on him? Don't have a freaking thing I can say about him, really. Uh, wasn't he like a casting guy on the movie and then he got into the costume? Because there was no makeup on De Decapitator. It was just the hands. Just the hands. It was like a hooded thing or something, if I recall. But wasn't he like one of the casting guys? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. My name is Stuart Land. And uh, on Neon Maniacs, I sculpted the uh, blade hands for the Decapitator. And the way that happened was I worked for a, another company doing movies like Exterminator and some other films. I don't remember what they were. And I was looking for new jobs because I think I had only started about, a, you know, within that last year in, in Hollywood. So I went to um, makeup and effects labs and they were they weren't doing anything at the moment and they were finishing up Neon Maniacs. But I didn't know what they were, were making. So. The owner of it asked me if I could sculpt some kind of creature's hands for this creature they were making. And he told me what it was. And I took a pencil and I drew the hands on a um, piece of paper that they put out on tables so you don't get the tables messed up. And it was a spur of the moment thing. And I did it in like two minutes. And he looked at me and he walked away and said, you're hired, start Monday. <laughs> So my, my, uh, my basic movie career started from that. So Alan, after he uh, approved my thing and said I was hired, and I said, well, how much money am I going to make? And he said, well, how much did you make before? And I said, I made $70 a week. And he said, okay, I'll start you at 650 So <laughs> that was the most money I ever made in sculpting. So it was like, an immediate advance. Do you remember by any chance when you were working over there, um, them working on any of the maniacs or anything? I think I was the last person to work on it. So I, I met some other sculptors, but everybody was hired sort of piecemeal. So when I worked on that, there, the, everything else was done. So that was the only thing that I made for that. But I got to go to some of the shoots, and then I made a couple of friends from there. Then I, I went to the shoot where they were doing the school bus, which uh, was supposed to be one of the finales where all the, the creatures uh, attack all the people that are still left alive on a school bus. And they, they climb all over it and, uh, and they go inside and they do things. But it was at night and it was winter and it was cold. Even in L.A. it gets cold. And so I stayed for a few hours and then I talked with Leilani, who was the lead actress, and, uh, and she was very nice. And she told me about some upcoming shows she was on and she didn't really know how this movie was going to do. Uh, none of none of us did really. Kind of curious. Did they ever explain to you what the character was you designed for or anything? Well, they they showed me pictures of the other characters, 
and they said it they were just on a killing spree and they didn't really explain what it was and in the movie they didn't either so <laughs> they said well he's going to have these hands and maybe he'll be chopping off people's heads so when i went to the school bus scene and he was in that scene i was waiting for him to go and do something but i waited for several hours and it got really cold and you know how movies go they're really slow and so i went home <laughs> before anything actually happened because there was no real script as to what was going to happen i love that character because there's only a couple of scenes where you really see him whoever the actor was kept his arms in the air you just see these two awesome blades and I really wish there was more of it because he's really unique. He's like, I, I always refer to him as like the Boba Fett of Neon Maniacs because he's the most mysterious one because you barely see him. And when you see, get that glimpse, you're like, wow, who is that? Yeah, I met all these guys. Of course, they were in makeup and stuff. And I think his makeup was sort of rags and things so i really didn't even see his face and i didn't get to really talk to him except hello you know and i thought it was it was a really cool design i mean not just my design but they were all killing people one way or another but for some reason i don't know why they didn't use him more because he was in that scene with the school bus which they didn't use and then he was in a the scene for the party, the band party, and and that was it. He didn't do anything. At least it didn't show him doing anything. And I think there's one other scene when the maniacs are coming out of the bridge where you get a oh, good right. glimpse of him too. Right. So you might ask Alan Apone if they shot anything on that or if you get somebody else that was actually in the production. Because, uh, you know... On a lot of these kind of movies, they shoot things, but then they don't use them. Stewart remembered, uh, he remembered a scene that took place on a school bus where the decapitator killed some kids. Do you guys remember that scene? School bus? Yeah, it's not in the movie. I remember, I remember this. Uh, I remember the, there's a bus sequence or a, or a. Or We're a, on the BART system. I remember the yeah. BART. There is a subway and there is a bus sequence with the arm of the of uh, Mohawk. Oh, with the kids? Yeah, for some reason, Stuart thought he remembered a scene where the decapitator kills a bunch of kids, like on a school bus, but uh, no one else remembers that I talked to. I don't remember that, to be honest with you. Stuart brought it up, and I was like, uh, I, you know, because decapitator doesn't do anything, and he's so cool. And, and I was wondering if that's what was his scene that got cut. Um, I think maybe our poor old brains are just trying to fill in gaps. I talked to a gentleman who said he was on set for a scene that took place in a school bus that the decapitator was was uh, attacking kids on a school bus. He thought was at the end of the production, but it's not in the movie. Again, that seems like a scene that would be in the movie. You know, if you guys would have shot it, I mean, so yeah, if we shot it, it'd be in there. Um, so there's no additional scenes or anything like that you guys ever left out. No, and you want to know something? I don't remember a lot of MPAA stuff on this, unless that was a scene that had to come out. It seems to me I would really remember it because it's never easy to remove, it's never easy to satisfy MPAA stuff. 
because they're not specific. They'll just say too much kid, you know, just too much violence. And then you gotta go, okay, well, what are they deeming as violence? Maniac number 13, Juice. Can you tell tell me about like what is juice exactly? Someone told me it was a robot. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what juice is. Yeah, he's. I think he's kind of a robot, dude. <laughs> kind of a yeah, because you know juice electronic. It was like okay, yeah. Juice was Doug. Doug did juice, didn't he? Yeah, he sculpted that one. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, my name is Scott Getzko. I was the juice monster. Man, I, I had an agent and somehow I went and I went for the audition and for the Mohawk. And then when they told me how much it paid, I'm like, oh, well, you can screw it, screw that. Then I said, I'm not shaving my head into a Mohawk for 50 bucks a day. <laughs> and then they, my agent called me a while back, said, hey, you still want to do this thing? They got another creature that you can be. I said, yeah. And then I went down there and they kind of fitted me for the latex pieces. And uh, that was, I don't know, it was kind of just, it was just weird because I thought, oh, that's done with already. And then all of a sudden there I was in the movie. You know, you know those the boots I was wearing in there, you know where they were from, don't you? The movie The Wiz. That's where the boots came from that I, the juice wore in the movie. It was something in the, in the Wiz. I don't know if it was the, the Witch's Soldiers or what, you know, The Wiz with Michael Jackson. It was, it, I mean, it was fun to do. It was, you know, I mean, uh, the makeup guys out, I think it was Alan Apone. They were great. Do you remember anything about like the high school scene or anything like that? Any, any memories? I remember I slept in the Hollywood high school hallways quite a bit. Cause it was like, we sit around for a long time, but I remember, um, I know, you know, who John James is, he used to be on, he was on dynasty or whatever. And he was friends with the director or something. Cause every, every time I'd go to sleep up in Hollywood high school, he'd be, he was hanging out. He always come over and kick me, you know? And it was like, and I was like, they <laughs> do let me sleep I'm, I'm earning my 50 bucks a day or whatever you know but uh i don't know it was it was real neat doing it though yeah i yeah i don't remember a whole lot of scenes going up and down the steps chasing people you know and that's about it you know yeah no i mean it was a lot of a lot of waiting around and then you had a, a, especially my costume had so much latex appliance on you couldn't eat anything you couldn't you know you know the makeup it was amazing the guys were killer they were really good at it you know were you on the train shoot? No, I was not. Do you remember anything about your death scene? Yeah, I was electrocuted, wasn't I? Yeah, you're electrocuted going up the stairs. Yeah, at Hollywood, on the handrail or something at Hollywood High School. It's been so long, you know? But did you remember anything about hanging out with any of the maniacs on set or anything? Um, or Mohawk a little bit and Samurai a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think we had a few beers together. Uh, Doyle McCurley. Yeah, samurai. You and some of the maniacs became friends on set. Yeah, we, you know, we would be there, like myself, I would be there from 6 a.m. to midnight, and, and sometimes a little past midnight, and then I had to be back the next morning at 6. So there were times we would, uh, you know, we would grab beer, and we would sit there, and we'd drink. Uh, toward the end of the night, we'd start drinking, and... You know, of course, we were all young. We could get away with it. And we would drink and fall asleep at some point. And some of us would just sleep in the cars out there. And the next morning, we'd hear people coming in. And, and we would just wake up and go straight to straight to makeup and wardrobe. And, you know, the only thing you had to take was a, a toothbrush and a, and a tube of toothpaste. So you get up in the morning and brush your teeth and you're good to go again. That was the way to go. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it didn't matter how we smelled. I mean, it wasn't like we were going to be talking to any any girls there. But uh, one night uh, at Hollywood High School shooting, I, I uh, there was a liquor store a few blocks away, so we had we had walked down in our costumes to a liquor store, and you know, although it was, Hollywood is kind of weird now, and everybody dresses funny. Back then, it wasn't so much. You didn't see a whole lot of the green and purple and pink hair out. So we were kind of oddballs walking down the street. You know, you see this samurai with a, a sword hanging off the side and, you know, an ape man. And we could go down and buy beer and come back to the set and we'd be popping a few cold brews. And, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it, yeah, look, none of us had any lines. So it's not like we had to remember what we were going to say. So, you know, it was just action. Okay, come on out, monsters, and you know, and we just walked. And there was another time we uh, we had called. Uh, we couldn't get away. I forgot what happened exactly. So we called the taxi cab and said, "Hey, pick us up some beer. All the liquor stores were going to close." So we called and said, "Can you go get us some liquor, some beer?" And so the cab went and picked up beer and come over, and we paid the cab guy and. And and then paid, of course, for his time. And that happened a couple of times. That was more than once. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed, of course, you know, I was young. And, and you know, you're young. The, the name of life is, is having a good time. I mean, that's, that's all that matters when you think about it. Do you remember which maniacs you were hanging out with? Uh, Chuck Cohen was uh, uh, Mohawk. And Robert Veyu, and I don't remember exactly. I, 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 Robert was Hangman. I forgot the guy who was Ape. And Jerome, Jerome Denay. Uh, Jerome was the scavenger. And, and then Andrew, of course, Andrew Diveoff, he became, uh, a pretty, uh, pretty well known. Uh, he's, he gets quite a bit of work still. I think I told you his wife was a nurse, and I'd spoken with him years ago, back maybe in the early '90s, and uh, lost touch with him. But he was he was a good guy. I remember Andrew pretty well. He couldn't hang out with us because he had a wife. Only the guys without wives could hang out. <laughs> I can't remember any of the other guys' names. It was quite a while ago. My name is Alan Aperlo, and I played the soldier in the Maniac film. I don't think I drank anything, but I do remember they were drunk. Now, I think, come to think about it, I knew they were probably drunk. You know, you got to get the adrenaline up, I remember. <laughs> that stuff, you know, on those movie shoots, you know. The uh, end of the evenings, or very early morning when we were done, they they uh, would take us in, and they had to use some type of almost like a nail polish remover type thing. I mean, it had that smell, I can remember. And to get the rubber masks off, uh, they had glued them to, like, certain points on our skin. And so they had to use a little, like, paintbrush, a small, like, you paint model cars with. So they would, they would maybe use acetone or something to put in between our our skin and the rubber mask to get the, uh, the glue off. And yeah, after, after a while, uh, I mean, I had spots on the side of my head and, and like uh, toward my, my, uh, my, my jaw, my uh, chin where, where it had pulled skin off of me and, and it 
it was, uh, it was, yeah, they were like open sores kind of stuff. So, so uh, I had those for for quite a while, like three or four weeks, finally before they healed. Once we were all done, it was fun though. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That was uh, part of the deal, you know. I am Alan Apone, makeup effects supervisor for Neon Maniacs. Uh, I'm Mike Spatola, makeup artist. Oh, that's one of the things too, because we had that issue. Because what happens when you're when you drink alcohol a lot and you um, wear prosthetics and you're glued in, you the glue crystallizes on you and it makes just kills your skin. So we had a bunch of those issues with with a lot of the maniacs. Yeah, and a lot of that time we were using stuff like spirit gum and not you know silicone adhesives and you know you know, prosade or anything like that, because we just didn't have those yet. Yeah. Um, and so spirit gum absolutely crystallizes if you drink a lot. I spoke with Lilani uh, Sorrell quite a bit. Uh, funny, funny story about that is Lilani, I would talk to all the time. And, and I actually, we, we got to know each other fairly well. And of course, I would go in, I'd get my makeup, I'd come out and I would see her and she was a new actress. Uh, she's had some some good success, and uh, we would speak and we would talk quite often. In between breaks, we would talk, and and so she never saw me. She had no idea what I looked like. And one day, I don't remember if I was done early or for some reason I had a late call time, but I saw her and I walked up to uh, give her a hug, and she like like was pushing away, like what the hell are you doing? Who are you? You know? Yeah, and I realized she had no idea. She, she didn't know who I was, and I and I didn't realize this girl's never seen my face. She doesn't know what I look like. So that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode eight of In the Shadows of the Neon Maniacs. I'd like to thank Shane McKinney for our opening and closing theme music. This show is written, produced, and edited by your host, Stephen Scarlatta. And if you like this week's episode, please subscribe and rate. This will determine if I do another horror deep dive in the future. And join us again next week for episode nine. And until then, stay out of the shadows.